And just as Easter Monday represents a time of renewal and birth, cultivating emotional intelligence, EI as they call it, embracing good trouble and overcoming communication barriers can all lead to personal and interpersonal growth and renewal. In today's final hour, I'm joined by Dr. D. Ivan Young, a preeminent life coach, behavioral modification and relationship expert, uh, to discuss how to foster, how do we better foster emotional intelligence. Uh, we'll also get to Dr. Young to unpack what he defines as good trouble. Some of you heard that phrase many times around uh, the late, great John Lewis. But how does Dr. Young define good trouble and the power, or I should say the power, of disruption? And hopefully we'll delve in this hour into how overcoming uh, various communication barriers can improve our relationships with others. But this entire hour is all about EI, emotional intelligence, with our guest, Dr. D. Ivan Young, who I'm pleased to welcome to the airways of KBLA Talk 1580. Dr. Young, how are you today, sir? Hey, nope. No, hey, I'm, I'm very good, man. <laughs> hey, you know, I, you know, I could not go without slipping that in. So uh, it's just an honor to um, to be present and to be sharing such a wonderful moment with you, Travis. No, the great honor is mine, Dr. Young. I'm glad to have you, and uh, it's always good to talk to a good fraternity brother. So that's a that's a blessing. That's a good thing. Um, we uh, we celebrate that. But I I am I'm, I'm anxious um, to to delve into this conversation. Uh, about emotional intelligence, it's something that um, that I'm, I'm seeing and reading a great deal more about these days. It's always fascinating to me how we wrestle with these, how might I put it, we wrestle with these uh, human conditions, we wrestle with issues of human growth. Um, we've done that perennially as human beings, and we get to a certain point in history where we put a name to it. So now we know that these things are called EI. It's called emotional intelligence. Uh, but but before we get too deep in the conversation, because I believe that words matter, that language matters, uh, before I jump too deep uh, again into our dialogue, um, when we talk about emotional intelligence, um, give me your sense of what we're talking about here. How are we defining that for the sake of our conversation this hour? Thank you. One of the things that I have found um, that is critical in understanding why this is so important, we cannot give to other people what we don't give to ourselves. Mm. One of the things that is uh, imperative is that we take a temperature and see where are we internally as it relates to our own emotions and once we can understand what are the filters or the blind spots that are shaping how we perceive ourselves and others, then we can use the term intelligence. Intelligence, by nature, is the understanding of what's present. Mm. And I think that many of us are very much so compromised and even hindered because we are not in, con in touch with our own emotions and if we're not in touch with self, how can we be in touch with others? Mm. No, I, I, I hear you. I receive it. And it's a it's a great place to start because now I know where I want to go. Um, let me follow up with this first and foremost. Um, what is it? And again, I know the answer is uh, the reality, I should say, is different for each and every one of us as human beings. But what is it that causes us as human beings to have uh, what you termed these personal blind spots. What causes these personal blind spots in our own human development? There are several factors that contribute to our to the things that inhibit us. 
One, I, well, it's not going to be one. I'm going to just kind of go down a list. The sure, first thing sure, is, sure, sure. what is going on with us in terms of how we perceive ourselves? Mm. You know, many of us start the day with this undercurrent of stress, anxiety, uh, feeling depreciated, and that can be connected to many things such as socioeconomic status your nationality or your race, and how is that fitting into the larger context of culture? The other part of this is what may be going on within your life. Do you have stressors that are financial? Do you have stressors that are affecting your health? Or do you have stressors that are circumstances that are climatic or tragic that are beyond your control? And if you could just imagine... Uh, t- to paint that picture in a vivid way, if I wake up and I wake up a black man in America and I wake up a black man in America who happens to be unemployed and I work up a black man in America that is unemployed and I'm also having uh, health compromises, do you really think I'm capable of looking past all of these assailants that are hindering and attacking my well-being, and am I able to see what's going on with you? Mm. The answer probably is a big no. So when we think about emotional intelligence, one of the things that I offer is let's do some deep introspection and figure out what may be limiting our awareness or what may compromise our ability to see beyond the things that we're dealing with in terms of our own struggles in life. Mm. Yeah, it's getting good. I'm just getting getting started here. It's getting good to me already. So let me me ask this then. When it comes to your point about how we perceive ourselves as one of any number of issues um, uh, relative to how we uh, create these personal blind spots in our lives, uh, that was my question. You said there are a number of things, including, again, how we perceive ourselves. Um, I assume that there are appropriate and inappropriate ways, good ways and bad ways. I'm just oversimplifying it here for how we go about the process of perceiving ourselves. So take a moment to tell me, talk to me about how it is that we should, uh, uh, in theory, go about perceiving ourselves, uh, how we perceive the way we show up in the world or want to show up in the world. Does that make, does that make sense? When, yes, sir. When I have people in my office seeing me, uh, seeing me in my private practice or when I'm uh, lecturing at a university or something, one of the things that I offer is let's take an inventory and look at what is shaping perception for us, mm. for the individual meal. And once we have an, a clue about what may be the source of bias or disdain, let's, once we identify that, now let's stop and look at, okay, well, how could that affect how I'm perceiving who I see as other? In other words, if I uh, happen to be um, just a man, a male, how do I see women? And what is shaping my perspective on women? Am I utilizing a lens that may be contaminated or, or simplified based on what I've had poured into me maternally from my mother, or have I had uh, very negative, self-defeating experiences where someone has uh, put me in a position where I think less of myself. So the way that we 
show up and begin this process of being empathetic, uh, what I would say the ground zero is be empathetic with yourself. Mm. Take a moment to accept what you may or may not be coming to the table with and allow yourself to be vulnerable enough to offer. You know, it's, it's like one of those things, if you're hard of hearing, it would be real simple to tell another person, you know, I don't hear well. Could you please speak up? Mm-hmm. Well, in the same way, when I'm dealing with someone that I see as other, meaning other than my gender, other than my nationality, other than my race, it would be very wise and probably to my advantage to understand my limitations in perception and to share that I may have that, especially in a critical environment such as an employment interview or someone that you really want to open yourself up to and become closer to or someone you may have conflict with, to be able to share that, you know what, here's where I'm starting. Here's my vision for where I would like to go in in this conversation or in our engagement, and to understand that the gap between where I'm starting and where I want to go happens to be very much affected by my perception of the circumstances. This is going to be a rich conversation, a rich dialogue, I promise you, for the rest of the hour. And not and not just because he's a good Kappa man, uh, but because, as you can tell, he's an expert in his field. Uh, and I am delighted to have on Dr. D. Ivan Young uh, in this hour. When we come forward, we're going to talk about, well, I got a lot of notes here now. I want to talk about empathy. Uh, I want to talk about introspection. I'm thinking of the words of Socrates, who once said that the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. What Socrates didn't tell us is that introspection is hard, man. Introspection is hard. It's why we love uh, tinkering with, uh, uh, with, the, uh, with the outside stuff, but not with the inside stuff. We, it's, it's a difference between uh, the, uh, the, the outer and the inner, uh, the hard wiring, the soft wiring. Uh, these things make a difference in, in, in terms of the things that we really are uh, prone to want to address and those things we want to apparently stay away from. We'll talk about uh, humanity. You heard Dr. Young drop that word a moment ago. My view is that none of us ever comes into the fullness of our own humanity if we cannot respect and revel in the humanity of the other. He was talking moments ago about the other. So you can see a lot to talk about in this hour. The the topic for the hour is EI, emotional intelligence. Uh, let's take a uh, take stock of mine, take stock of yours, and see where we are as human beings developing good, uh, fostering good emotional intelligence. We've got him for the hour. You're listening to Dr. D. Ivan Young right now on KBLA Talk 1580. We've got a lot to talk about. Good thing we've got three hours. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. We knew you'd stick around. This is L.A.'s home for progressive talk radio. Welcome back to KBLA Talk 1580. Well, I didn't, I can't say I knew you'd stick around, but I hoped you'd stick around. I thought you might, given um, uh, the richness in this conversation uh, just getting started uh, with Dr. D. Ivan Young talking in this hour about emotional intelligence, uh, otherwise known as EI. Uh, we always talk about AI, artificial intelligence, uh, but never enough about EI. Let me just, as a matter of fact, since I said that, let me start with that. What do you make of that fact, Dr. Young, that we spend a lot of time these days, everybody's talking about AI, we're all concerned about AI, but maybe what we ought to be focused on is EI, emotional intelligence. Well, it's really, you know, when you were thinking about that, 
AI is the depersonalization and, and the mechanistic approach to intelligence. And, and as much as that has value, you know, there's a thing called the Myers-Briggs type indicator, mm-hmm. and I'm master credentialed in that, and it measures all of these different attributes of the human per psyche or persona that we use to interpret information, extroversion, introversion, sensing, intuiting, thinking, feeling, and what have you. But the truth is, that's very dangerous when, like with anything, an artificial sweetener, uh, you know, it may on one level seem very attractive, but when you look at its use over a long period of time, it's very detrimental. Mm. And when we take the emotion out of intelligence, when we take the humanity or the filter of consideration and, and concern and empathy from intelligence, what we're doing is stripping something down to X's and O's or ones and zeros, which is wonderful in a binary uh, computing context. But when you're talking about relating to another human being, that is not such a good idea. Mm. We want a couple of things I want your listeners, especially those of you who have parents or those of you who are finding yourself in a loop of uh, conflict is to remember our first language is not words. Our first language, Travis, is pitch, tone, and inflection. Mm. We assume that the dog or the baby is so smart because they react to when we say stop or, or we go, ah, well, that harsh, abrupt tone and pitch is a sign of disapproval where that soft, warm, affectionate tone is a sign of approval. And the second language we learn is facial expressions. I could take anybody, any nationality, any gender, any sexual orientation, anywhere in the world, and just have them read people's faces, and they could tell this is approval, this is rejection, this is disdain, this is support. And when we put pitch, tone, and inflection with facial expressions, now all of a sudden we have really amplified the effect of communication or lack thereof. So as we consider the difference between something being artificial versus something being authentic, that's a serious consideration we we need not lose sight of. Mm, I hear you loud and clear. Um, you, could, you, could, you couldn't have been any clearer. Uh, about uh, that assessment, so I I, I hear you. Um, let me let me move now to some of these other issues that you've uh, already already teed up in this conversation, Doctor Young. That I want to get you to sort of unpack for us. I think I want to start with this notion of um, of introspection. Uh, I quoted Socrates moments ago, who once said that the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life, uh, according to Socrates, is not worth living, and yet. While we use that word introspection uh, freely uh, and oftentimes, I think, loosely, introspection is not easy. Uh, Talk to me uh, about the value, though, of being introspective about the lives that we're living, the legacies that we're leaving in the context of having healthy uh, emotional intelligence. One thing that I do in my practice is I specialize in high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals, public figures, professional athletes, and licensed professionals, and and the like. The thing that all of those people have in common is resources. 
people with a lot of resources have had more trainings and exposure to self-help, meaning in the workplace, in the C-suite, or in the academic space, if you're a JDMD nurse practitioner or something like that, or even in media, you have probably been to so many trainings that you've got enough box checks in that area. But the one thing these trainings don't do, and the environment isn't conducive for, is introspection. Mm. You know, the thing that uh, Socrates said about the unexamined life is not worth living reminds me uh, of the value of taking a deep look into self and not at self, Mm. which there's, see, a narcissist, will look at themselves, and they will find superficial things, titles, uh, you know, implants, whatever, uh, or the way that they're living, and say, you know what, because of what I see on the outside, I'm good. But introspection necessitates that we take a dual approach where we look at the first half of our lives that's a biography. In other words, you don't change. You didn't pick your gender. Mm. You didn't pick your socioeconomic status. You didn't pick your race. And the other side of life, after between typically 19 to 25 years old, is an auto, meaning self biography. In other words, you get to come up with and own the decisions you make. When we are introspective, we look at both sides. We look at what have I inherited that is tradition as opposed to legacy, because lynching black people was a tradition, mm. didn't mean it was good, mm-hmm. but legacy and being having self-efficacy and self-empowerment is a wonderful thing. Another side of this is, okay, you can't blame mama for not enough hugs and daddy for not enough pats on the back. At some point, you made decisions that you may have shame or guilt about, at least I hope you do, Mm. and then you've also made decisions when everything was against you, you found the strength somewhere inside in order to propel yourself to the next step or the next season. By doing deep introspection, you look at the yin and yang of your life, you look at the good, the bad, the things that you bring shame from and the things that you bring self-awareness from, and after you explore the relationship between how all of these things tugged and pushed and helped you to flow, now you have a much more accurate view of self Mm. rather than one that is superficial. When you said a moment ago, uh, I, I'm sure this uh, this shocks some. Uh, I certainly get, I, I think, what you meant by it. But when you say uh, 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 your, your reference to having shame and guilt uh, about uh, certain things in our life, you said at least I hope you have. I hope you have some shame and some guilt about certain things in your life. Uh, you, by that, you meant what? Why, why, you, why do you want to have, why do you want to be talking to an audience of people who you hope have some shame and guilt about things they've done in their lives or not done, as it were? Well, I'm going to put this in terms that will be very harsh for some and very revealing to others. If you, in your narrative, in your self-narrative, in your story, Mm -hmm. if you are always the victim or the hero, you are somewhat narcissistic, if not fully so. (laughs) There should be some places in your life 
where the feeling of shame quickens you to be a better version of yourself. There should be some places in your life where guilt should catalyze you to do a little bit of self-exploration and to humble you in such a way that you take ownership of the fact that you weren't who you could have been when you should have been and that you allowed yourself to find a, the, the seat right in the midst of mediocrity where you accepted the best of the worst and the worst of the best rather than reaching and becoming not only what you have ended up being, but falling short of what you are capable of being. There should be something that convicts you to seek and expect more from yourself. Mm, Lord Jesus. Um, I hear you. Um, Look at my clock here. I've got about 90 seconds before news, traffic, and sports will continue on the other side. Let me ask you this one right quick at these 90 seconds we have. Why is it, uh, and I'm not naive in asking this, but why is it that we are so um, prone, so willing to deal with the hardware, uh, but not the software of our lives? Real simple. You know, I have, when couples come, when high net worth couples come to me, one of the things that they prepared for is a nice wedding and a nice honeymoon, but they have not prepared themselves for the vicissitudes of life mm. and the struggles that are going to enrich and create a sustaining, meaningful relationship. Well, to make this simple in 30 seconds, how in the heck can you be good as a collective when you haven't done the work to be good as an individual? Mm. I hear you. <laughs> it makes sense to me. Uh, we will interrogate that a bit further after news, traffic, and sports. Uh, and we've not as yet gotten to this conversation about um, uh, the humanity uh, of others and how, uh, as I said earlier, my view is at least, and I could be wrong, we'll take Dr. Young's temperature on this, but my view, as expressed earlier, is that you can't really come into the fullness of your own humanity if you cannot at some point, learn how to respect and revel in the humanity of the other. I want to come back to that other conversation as well. A great deal more to unpack in this hour as we're talking about emotional intelligence. The Dr. D. Ivan Young, who you're listening to right now on KBLA Talk 1580. Our guest in this hour is Dr. D. Yvonne Young, who we're delighted to have uh, on in this hour talking about emotional intelligence and how we can foster uh, better uh, emotional intelligence. Yesterday was Easter, and so today is Easter Monday, and um, it seems to me that we are still in that season of renewal and rebirth, so no better time than the present to be talking about emotional intelligence and how, again, uh, we can do better uh, by our personal and interpersonal growth. Uh, and uh, I want to ask Dr. Young before I move forward here, uh, I teed this up earlier, we haven't gotten to it yet, and that is this, that, that, uh, this notion of embracing good trouble embracing good trouble. When you use that phrase, Dr. Young, you mean by that what exactly, sir? You know, one of the things that we tend to, and, well, let me let me back this up before I even let it come out the wrong way. There are times that we consider disruption problematic. Mm-hmm. The truth is there is no lasting transformation without disruption. As we evolve be it personally or as a culture, we have to break what we have accepted as dysfunctional norms. You know, Tavis, one of the things that I've uh, learned in my 61 years of walking this planet is that 
the things that don't come with resistance typically have a short sustain rate. Mm. But the things that are easy have a quick decay rate. Mm. If we are going to move past mediocrity and create lasting and meaningful change, then we have to disrupt what is familiar. The things that limit us are the things that we are become most comfortable with or most accepting of, but the things that cause us to move from being successful and going past that into thriving and yet beyond thriving toward flourishing, disruption is part of that process. And most of us, especially when it comes to our families or how we've done things historically, we don't want to get in trouble. But there is a such thing as good trouble. And when we get in good trouble, the one thing that typically follows is evolution. Mm. How then, to your point, which I'm, I'm wrestling with right now, it's a powerful point. How then do you suggest, uh, Dr. Young, that we uh, rethink or put another way, reframe the notion of resistance and pushback that we receive uh, when attempting certain things in our lives? This is often something that can be his, um, societal. Often it is passed down through families where people get very comfortable with not challenging social norms. I remember the, the thing that was stated by Harriet Tubman. She said, you know, I would have freed a whole lot more slaves had they known they were not free. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, many of us don't realize that we are being held hostage and in many ways mentally and emotionally self-incarcerated because we dare not think thoughts we've never thought. And if we see someone else who has the audacity to go boldly into places where we choose or fear going, then we would rather speak up and shoot them down rather than cause ourselves to pick ourselves up by the bootstraps and join them in that journey. The, I, I spoke at the, uh, as a matter of fact, bringing up our fraternity, uh, we had our 95th uh, Houston alumni uh, celebration a couple of weeks ago, and I was fortunate enough to be the keynote speaker. And my, the thing that I brought up was the story about going into the promised land and how they said, you know, there's all this grape, it's flowing, it's milk and honey, mm -hmm. but then there's always this naysayer that's going to say, yeah, but you know what, they're giants down yes. there. yep. And they are so much bigger and greater than us. And if we compare ourselves to them, we're nothing but ants, and they will crush us. Well, how many times have we talked ourselves out of something based on the lack of expectation from caregivers, from those in our social circle, or our messaging that we've had onboarded to us, even from people who meant us well, such as parents and caregivers. My challenge to the listener is simply this. You often have failed and not meet, measured up to your own capacity, not because you were thinking too big, but because you were thinking too small. Mm, Lord, that, yeah, um, speaking of your biblical edict, that, that'll preach. <laughs> that, that, that will preach right there, not thinking too big, but 
but thinking too small. Let me let me pivot ever so gently if I can. You used the word earlier in this conversation once or twice by my recollection, the word empathy. Obviously, um, you know, there's a distinct difference between sympathy and empathy, empathy, uh, sympathy, rather sympathy, uh, feeling sorry for somebody else. Empathy, putting yourself in that person's shoes. Why is sympathy an easier exercise for most of us, Dr. Young, than empathy? Oh, that's this is going to sound almost counterintuitive, but sympathy is a form of arrogance. Wow. It is the ability to look at someone else in a diminished state and figure that you've got the upper hand. Mm. Because in order for you to feel sympathy, you have to look at it's kind of like this is going to be really ugly, Tavis, but <laughs> it's like looking at an ugly baby and saying, oh, bless his heart, right? Because when you look at somebody with with sympathy, what you're really doing is you're extolling yourself at that person's expense. Right. You're validating yourself at that person's expense. But to be truly and honestly empathetic, that means you can abandon first person and put yourself in that person's shoes and stop and ask the question, if it were me, what would I need in this moment? If it were me, how would I like to be perceived? If it were me, what could you do in order to elevate my position or to even make me feel seen? So as we look at the difference between being empathetic with first ourselves and then others, we have to stop being sympathetic and condescending in the way we esteem someone else, especially someone else who's living in a more challenged set of circumstances than ourselves. I had never seen sympathy in the frame that you just placed it, and that's why I enjoy these conversations so immensely, Dr. Young. I always walk out of this studio much brighter, much smarter than when I came in. But again, I had never thought about sympathy in that particular frame. But I was laughing to myself when you used the phrase, uh, the, the, uh, the metaphor of the ugly baby. I was with some people um, not long ago. <laughs> as many times as I've heard this phrase, I never thought about it in the way this person laid on it. And it was just their intonation. You were talking earlier about, about pitch and about tone. It was just the pitch and the tone of this statement that I've heard a thousand times in my life, a million times probably, but I'd never heard it in this way. And they were looking at this baby that wasn't so attractive and said, oh, look at the baby, just as cute as she can be. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, just yeah. as cute yeah. as she can be. And when they laid on that can be, we've all heard that phrase. I never mm -hmm. thought about it in that way until they said it that day. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think what we have an opportunity for as a nation and as a people is to ask ourselves, why are we accepting the lowered expectations of the collective rather than looking at ourselves in a more reflective way, and instead of accepting how others see us in hindsight, dare to look at our potential with some foresight. Mm -hmm. uh, but that requires imagination. Um, and we're talking in this hour about emotional intelligence. So let me just ask you then, uh, forthright and, and direct, what is the relationship, as you see it, between emotional intelligence and imagination? You know, there, there are a couple of things that we, we, words that we can play with in this. One is, I can ask you, do you see it? And then I can ask you to look at something. I can ask you, did you hear it? Then I can ask you to listen. Well, see, seeing 
and uh, hearing doesn't require much. All you have to do is just have functional eyes and ears. But in order to listen and in order to look, you have to sacrifice what could capture your attention and deliberately focus on something with intent. The key word here being intent. What is your intent for self? What is your intent when you articulate something? Are you just occupying and waiting to talk dead space with your mouth? Or are you really truly taking in and considering the full perspective, the depth and the breadth of something when you look at it and when you listen to it? Because if you do that, you are sacrificing your need to be validated You're sacrificing your need to be seen, and what you're putting first is the intention for an outcome. As we all know, you are far better off to be the recipient of an intentional outcome any day rather than to be the victim of happenstance. Mm. As we continue Uh our conversation about emotional intelligence with Dr. D. uh, Yvonne Young, I, I want to probe this when we come forward. We're, we're basically there now. Let's just take the next step, uh, which is what happens in our lives. Speaking of emotional intelligence, what happens when we imagine new possibilities? What happens when we can develop new behaviors and new mindsets? We'll put that question in a bit more, Dr. Young, when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Let's unpack a little bit more with Tavis Smiley. The conversation continues right now. Right now. Dr. Young, I've got about uh, three minutes left in this conversation here, and I've enjoyed it immensely, been empowered by it greatly, so thank you in advance uh, for that. Uh, But as we uh, develop new behaviors, as we develop new mindsets um, in an effort to foster greater emotional intelligence, what happens? What can happen? Well, I can just tell you this. You know, the human mind and the brain are different things. The brain is a mere muscle limited by electrical and chemical impulses. But the mind, there are no limits to the human mind. Even Christopher Columbus said, you can never cross the ocean until you have the courage to lose sight of the shore. So the thing that I live by is if you choose to be who you've never been, you will see what you've never seen. You will do what you've never done. And only in doing those things will you go from one who saw yourself as a loser to one that you can't help but acknowledge that you finally won. My Angelo, you started. I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. I'm sorry. I stepped on you again. Go ahead, Dr. Young. I'm sorry. No, no problem. The only thing that I want to say is the only limits that we have are the limits that are self-imposed on self. And everything seems impossible. Like Nelson Mandela said, everything seems impossible, Tavis, until it's done. Mm-hmm. Nope, I love that line from Mandela. It all seems impossible until somebody does it right. Um, my, my final question here in the 90 seconds we have left, my Angelo said to me many times, uh, Tavis, courage is like a muscle. Courage is a muscle. You have to build it. You have to grow it. Uh, how do we go about building, fostering greater emotional intelligence? Well, (laughs) I'll just say this. If you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. (laughs) So, you know, and and Henry Ford plagiarized that from a slave, but it's true. Mm. Uh, The greatest thing for any of us is to look at ourselves and make a declaration. Am I going to be 
who you, they said I am and even who I think I am, or will I dare to be who I'm capable of being, which is something that has not been defined yet other than in the corridors of our minds. You know, you, there, you can do all things through God who strengthens you, and whatever you have left, that's all you need to finish the job. Mm. There's a reason they call him the reality check doctor. You get it, right? After an hour of listening to him, the reality check doctor. He is Dr. D. Yvonne Young, uh, who I've been delighted to have been in dialogue with for this hour. Dr. Young, I enjoyed it so much. We'll do it again somewhere down the road, my friend. All the best to you, frat brother. All right, Tavis, you are awesome, and I love you, man. I love One you. love. Love you back. Ain't nothing you can do about it. Thank you for your time. That is our program for today, Lord willing. Back here tomorrow morning to do it all over again, 9 a.m. to 12 noon Pacific time. Time now, though, to make room for the KBLA Midday Money Chain. Up next, the Millionaire's Roundtable with Lynn Richardson to be followed by Ahead of the Crypto Curve with Najah Roberts. Old money, new money, either way, we got you covered here on KBLA Talk 1580. Tomorrow, uh, three hours of great conversation. Make sure you're tuning in then. Uh, but until then, thanks for listening. And as always, keep the faith. <laughs>